Welcome to New Life. I'm Mark. Nice to meet you. Yes, uh, this week on uh, Thursday morning or uh, Wednesday night, uh, a sprinkler head uh, burst in our storage room, which is where we keep all of our stuff, including the electronics and the chairs. Um, and, and I thank Jeff and Andrew um, for coming in the middle of the night and uh, dealing with that, as uh, well as the uh, Harlem Roscoe Fire Department <laughs> for coming in the middle of the night to deal with that. Um, but uh, uh, thankfully, um, very little was damaged. The only thing that was damaged was um, our baptismal font, and only because I broke it as I was taking it apart, cleaning it. Um, so just a little connector, so that should be fine. So uh, uh, thank goodness for that, um, and we'll keep you informed if we want to do anything else. And if your chairs seem a little wet, you're not having an accident. It's no, we we didn't set out the. I don't. I don't know. I I didn't set them out. Maybe we did set out the wet chair. Some of the chairs got wet. Um, I don't think the ones that we set out got wet. So, um, so uh, uh, yeah. So uh, life happens sometimes, doesn't it? But we come together and we get through in the midst of all of that stuff. So let's have a word of prayer. As we come into the presence of our Lord. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather today. We just ask that your spirit comes upon us, that we are just comforted, that we are emboldened, that we sense your overwhelming peace and your call to action. All these things. As we come together to be your body, the church. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Luke. We are spending uh, a few weeks here in the early part of the year looking at these uh, young Jesus stories, let's call them, right? Uh, You remember Young Indiana Jones? That was a TV show on for a while. Good TV show, but uh, Young Jesus stories. We don't have a lot of them, but we have a few of them, and each of them kind of shows us a little bit more about this person uh, we call Lord in Jesus Christ. Uh, So we're uh, up to year 12, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that gap. So Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bibles with you, I think it's going to be on the screen tonight. Luke chapter 2, excuse me, uh, verses 41 through 52. Each year his parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to their custom. After the festival was over, they were returning home, but the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. Supposing that he was among the band of travelers, they journeyed on for a full day while looking for him among their family and friends. When they didn't find Jesus, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple. He was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and putting questions to them. Everyone who heard him was amazed by his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were shocked. His mother said, Child, why have you treated us like this? Listen, your father and I have been worried. We've been looking for you. Jesus replied, Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he said to them. Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. His mother cherished every word in her heart. Jesus matured in wisdom and years and in favor with God and with people. 
So that's our story today. We are uh, officially out of Christmas, right? We're in Epiphany and all that stuff, right? But uh, I, I want to talk about a Christmas movie. You know, we have lots of good Christmas movies. Uh, and this one, this is one of the more recent Christmas movies, Home Alone. Everybody's seen Home Alone? It's a great little story. It's a story about a young boy in a large family whose parents go out of town for Christmas. His family goes out of town for Christmas, and he gets left home. Not the most creative title, but it really gets you to the point. And, and it's, really a story about, it's really a story about family, and it's a story about the importance of family and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, a little disturbing at points and probably not a good... A uh, good movie to figure out how to protect yourself if you are home alone and robbers are breaking in. I'm not sure the most practical advice in that film. But I, I have to imagine that maybe the filmmakers, the writers of that uh, now beloved Christmas film, uh, kind of had this story in their mind. Because here we have a very similar story to Home Alone, right? We have parents leaving home for a festival, right? Big festival. They didn't, Jewish people don't celebrate Christmas, if you didn't figure that out by now. And, and, and so this is one of their big festivals. And, and, and they left home, right? And they went to this festival. And in the midst of this celebration, Jesus, their son, is lost. Very similar. Unlike Home Alone, however, this story in Scripture teaches us a lot about who Jesus is, reveals to us, and that's epiphany, right? Revealing a little bit more about Jesus. And I think maybe revealing a lot about who we are as his followers. So I want to talk a little bit about this uh, story that we might just look over and say, oh, that's a fun little, that's a fun little story. But there's a lot going on. And so I want to start with some of the background information to, to really truly appreciate this passage. First, we, we have to talk about the gap, right? We had um, we had Christmas, right? That's when Jesus was born. You know, well, in the story, that's when Jesus was born, right? Wasn't actually born on Christmas Day, but uh, you know, that's you know, the first story is the birth story. Then we have the circumcision story that took place at eight days. Then we have the purification story, which took place around forty days after he was born. Then we have in Matthew. Now we're going back to Matthew, right? We have the story of the Magi, the Epiphany story. Happened between maybe two months and a year, two years. We don't quite know when that happened, but in that realm of first couple of years of life. Uh, and, and then now, you know, back in Luke here, we skip from two or one or whenever the Magi came to 12 years old. Why do you think we do that? Why did we do that? Why is that so important? Well, because at the age of 12 a child becomes an adult in Jewish law. A child becomes a full-fledged adult. There was a celebration, and there still is. What is it called? Bar mitzvah or bat, bat mitzvah or ba mitzvah, um, depending if you pronounce the T or not, but B-A-T mitzvah for women. Now, I don't know if that was bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs were practiced back then, but the ritual was still the same, 12 you were an adult, but more importantly, perhaps, you were also then a child, in, in Jesus' case, a son of the law. So when you turned 12, you had to start following 613 rules. 
Before that, you know, right? Have you ever tried to get a you know, five-year-old to follow anything? Or a one-year-old, right. So, I mean, they, they said, well, it's just, it's not, let's not even worry about it. But when you're 12, you better start shaping up, right? And so you had to follow the law, the, the law of the Torah, Moses' law, the first five books of the Bible. And this includes participation in the holy festivals. And remember, in Jewish tradition, there are many festivals, at least seven we could talk about, three major ones, and perhaps the greatest festival of all is the Passover festival. And this was the festival that celebrated every year, still to this day if you're Jewish, celebrates the angel of death passing over the uh, Israelites in Egypt and then marks their exodus from Egypt to the promised land. So the Passover feast is a remembrance of not only the slavery in Egypt, but God's redemption and freedom and then promise of the land that they lived in in this time and still to this day in Israel. So the law said... (laughs) Every And this is kind of the expanded law, right? right? There's the 613 commandments, but then there's like additional things that got added on. Well, this is one of those things. Every Jewish male within 20 miles of Jerusalem, remember Jerusalem is, that's the power place. And, and why is it so important? Because that's where the temple is. And why is the temple? We skipped over this a couple, um, uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, and, and I was talking about it with some people in, in the interim, uh, but it is really important. The temple is so important in Jerusalem because that's where God was, right? We have this, like, God is everywhere, and God's in the bread, and God's in our hearts, right? You know, even my five-year-old knows Jesus lives in our hearts. We know that, right? Well, well that's not really what people believed when Jesus was alive. They believed God literally sat on the Ark of the Covenant behind a big curtain, behind all kinds of walls, in the temple. That's where God was, right? God was literally there. That's where God was. That was God's house. And that's why we call it, you know, this is the house of worship. Well, it was literally God's house. That's where God dwelled on earth. Now, there was a separation, right? You couldn't, like, go see God. You couldn't go talk to him, in a sense, right? But that was the representation of where God was. And it was hidden from everybody, but it was there. So people would go all over the world, Jews from all over, and even Gentiles would go to that holy place because that's where God was. God was in the temple. God was present along with the Ark of the Covenant. So all Jewish men 20 miles from the temple had to go to Jerusalem for Passover. They had to go. And all Jewish people across the world tried to go as often as possible, at least once in their lifetime. It's no different than today. That's a holy pilgrimage to go to Jerusalem for Passover. Even though the temple has been destroyed, the Ark of the Covenant has been lost, it is still a holy place. It's still God's city, right? It's the same for our Islamic friends in Mecca. You know, once a year, once in your lifetime, you have to go to Mecca, right? That's one of the things you have to do if you're Muslim. You have to go to Mecca. That's the seat. That's where Muhammad was born. So this was a a time that uh, was super important, not just because it was, you know, well, you know, we can go and the Passover is awesome and everything else, but now Jesus is an adult. And and think back, okay, right, we don't got any of this stuff in our lives, but some of you grew up in houses, right, and and big families and stuff like that, and 
And, and on Christmas and Thanksgiving, when you get together, right, there was a time in your life where you went from the kids' table to the adult table. And this is, this is what's happening for Jesus. Mary and Joseph went every year to Jerusalem for Passover. They probably brought Jesus with them. Maybe they left him at home with the sinner. I don't know, right? But maybe they left him, you know, they went with him. But, you know, he would have to stay in certain courts. He couldn't go. You know, women had to stay outside in the, in the outside court. Remember, there's like, there's the Gentile court. The Gentiles could stay there. Then the Jewish, you know, all the Jewish people could go in there, but then the men could go in a little further, right? And then, you know, some priests could go in a little further. And the high priest, he was the one that got to see the Ark of the Covenant and make sure it was still there once a year. Um, but, you know, so there was this separation. So Jesus couldn't ever pass that threshold to be where the teachers were, to be where the people were talking about the law, to really be close to that seat, that mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant where the cherubim and seraphim meet with their wings, where God was. And so this is the big kid's table for Jesus. He got to go. And I think he was so enthralled, right, that he decided to extend his visit a little bit longer than his parents did. Now we also have to talk about this, uh, this little scene of Jesus, you know, listening and questioning. Because here we think, you know, okay, you, you got the Sanhedrin. These are the greatest the, the greatest scholars, the greatest experts of the law, the religious elite, the academics, professors, philosophers, theologians, gathered together, lawyers gathered together, and they're talking and sharing knowledge. And here's this upstart 12-year-old, right, like chiming in. And so that's kind of how we look at it, but that was totally expected in Jesus' time. It was expected. You remember, he's an adult at this point. And so, yeah, these guys are older and they're wiser and everything else, but he was expected as a son of the law, as a student of the law, to listen to these experts talk and then to add, to ask questions, to add insight. You know, that he, wasn't, he wasn't at the kids' table anymore. He was an adult, even though he was 12. Jesus was doing exactly what was expected of him, in other words, is what I'm getting at. So let's, that's the background. That's some of the things we need to know going into this story. So let's talk about the story itself. The initial setup, right? Mary, Joseph, Jesus heading to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Jesus goes missing. That's the conflict in the story. Where did he go? What's wrong with his parents? Where did they go wrong, right? What's going on? Now, I haven't, to this point, lost any of my children in a public place, but... I'm guessing if we ask for hands, a few of you have, right? And I know including my parents, not me, I never got lost. But that other kid that my parents raised, he was trouble all the time. <clears throat> and that happens and that's terrifying, right? When you lose your child, when you don't know what's going on, when you're you know, so scared, what's going to happen? But we need to give Mary and Joseph a little bit of credit just because we don't understand kind of how the the system works. They didn't get in their minivan and drive to Jerusalem, right? You know, they had to take the road and they had to walk the 15 miles or so, right, to Jerusalem. And they generally did that with a caravan. Why? Because it was safer to travel in larger groups than it was by yourself. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan. You don't travel those roads by yourself, especially that road to Jericho. But even up to Jerusalem, you don't travel by yourself if you don't have to. So you travel with groups of people. Now, there's another little caveat. It was tradition 
that the women would leave early in the morning to start, and I'm not going to speculate why, because that could not be good for me in any way or shape or form. The women left early, and the men left later. And then they would meet up in the evening. So this is most likely, to give Mary and Joseph some credit, kind of a, I thought he was with you scenario, right? Mary left in the morning. Well, he's with Joseph. Joseph left in the afternoon. Well, he's with Mary. They met up in the evening. Where is Jesus? They go around with their family and friends. Have you seen Jesus? Sometimes we do that, right? Have you seen Jesus? Sometimes we need to. But you can, you can just imagine them running around looking for their son, and then they go back to Jerusalem. They had traveled a day. Then they go back to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem ain't Sherland, right? It's a big town. I mean, imagine going to Chicago. You know, let's say I took Alex to Chicago, and, and Alex got lost in Chicago. And I searched for him for three days. You know, those shows say after 48 hours, right? You know, that's that one, right? 48 hours. And and, and to give a little bit more credence to this, you know, Chicago was a lot safer or is a lot safer than Jerusalem was in 12 AD. You know, because slavery was still legal, right? So, well, there's this, this kid, I guess we should, right? That, that's the kind of thing that's happening. So you can imagine the panic, the fear, just losing your mind, <laughs> looking for him for three days. I mean, you skim over that so easily in this passage. Three days. You can imagine the state they were in. But they do find him. Yeah, right? Because it's nice, just the next sentence. Ah, they found him. No big deal. I'd like to kind of like, what's going on there for a while? And where do they find him? At the temple sitting, listening, and discussing scriptures with the elders. The Bible says, first, they were shocked. And I imagine if I had lost Alex in Chicago for three days, um, and then I found him sitting quietly in the library, I would be shocked (laughs) for a number of reasons. And so this is, you know, he's 12, right? What's he doing? So he was, they were shocked. Then his mother says, child, which is never good, right? At that point, you know, when you've just given up the name and you just continue to call your children by other things. Why have you treated us like this? Listen, your father and I have been worried, no doubt, right? We've been looking for you. Now, obviously, once she realizes Jesus is safe, then, you know, parent mode kicks in, and she gets into this kind of fervor. But Jesus' response is a little baffling. Jesus says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? Yeah, I, I won't expound upon the Greek there, but uh, it, it's kind of as, you know, you know like, isn't it necessary? You're 12, seriously. You know, I talk like a 12-year-old. But, you know, th- that's kind of a baffling response. Now, I, I don't think baffle, you know, astonishment would have been my first reaction if my child talked to me like that. But for Mary and Joseph, they were like, what the heck are you talking about? But did you see what Jesus did? You know, we're, we're, we're focused on, well, he was lost and then he's found and yeah, everything's okay. 
But did you see what Jesus did? There, there's this really important kind of transition that happens. Mary says, your father and I were worried. Your father was worried. He has been looking for you. And Jesus says, no, I'm in my father's house. Jesus takes the father title from Joseph, that dude that raised him, right, to God. He exchanges that title. Joseph is no longer father. God is father. And that is super important. It reveals something really important. And it's probably not something you've thought a lot about. Because we don't tend to think, we think about Jesus, you know, resurrection, ascension, holy, holy, we sing songs to the guy, you know, that kind of Jesus. And, you know, oh, baby Jesus. And, but we don't really spend a lot of time thinking about how Jesus developed, how he grew, how, how he matured. Baby Jesus didn't know he was the son of God, right? And, and I can say that with assurance because if baby Jesus knew he was, any of your babies ever know anything besides I'm hungry, I peed, right? Seriously, right? You know, a lot of us have babies. They, they don't know anything. If baby Jesus knew he was the Son of God, he wasn't human. That's the point. And the, the entirety of our faith is that Jesus was human totally and God totally. But he had to be human. And humans do not know everything from the day they are born. You know, a horse is born. What do we call a horse, a baby horse? A colt, right? You know, a colt is born and think and walk, right? Immediately. Well, how, why the heck does it take our babies like a year and a half to walk? Why, our babies don't know anything. Human babies have to learn everything. They have to learn everything from day one. And Jesus had to learn. He did not know that he was the son of God until this moment. Something happened. Maybe it happened when he, he had this coming of age ceremony. Maybe it happened during this Passover feast. Maybe it happened in that moment he had a realization that he was the son of God. He started to understand who he was and who he was, whose he was, right? There is this realization. Jesus realized he wasn't Joseph's son. He was the son of God. Now, does that change Jesus? Yes and no. He has new knowledge, but he's still a child by our standards. Even 12, you know, there's still a lot to learn. So he obeys his parents. He leaves the temple with them, no sass according to Scripture, right? Right? I mean, it didn't say anything like that. And he goes home. The passage literally says, Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. The realization that he was God's son changed him, but he was still a child. He still had to listen to Joseph and Mary. He still had chores to do. He still had school to do. He still learned how to become a carpenter, even though he was the son of God. So there are some things we can learn, I think, from our passage today and, and things we can learn about ourselves, not just about Jesus. The first is this lesson about coming of age. We don't have a lot of coming of age rituals, right, that define who we are as adults. 
uh, in America. We, we just don't have, you know, I'm, our Jewish friends have still have bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, and everything else. Quinceaneras, right, uh, um, in the Hispanic culture, and there's other things like that. But we don't really have a lot of rituals that say, at this point, you are an adult. And, and we've kind of failed a little bit about that. And so adolescence has grown longer and longer and longer. And that goes all the way back to when we stopped making kids work in factories. I mean, literally, if you look at the history, that's when adolescence started to act. Adolescence didn't even exist for hundreds of years, for millenniums. There was no adolescence. You, you know, you can poop by yourself. Let's go out and get a job, right? I mean, seriously, that, that's kind of how life was. And, and so when we said, you know, we really shouldn't have the kids in the factory, we started to expand this thing called adolescence and create adolescence. And now it's going, you know, some of your kids are, you know, older and older and older and adolescence is older and older and older because we've extended that. We don't really have a lot of understanding of, okay, when are you really an adult? When are you really an adult? But that's not, that's, I really, I mean, we can talk about that, but I don't really want to dwell too much into that because that's all kinds of stuff. And, and who knows? I don't know. We're all adults at different times in our lives and some of us haven't quite gotten there yet, right? So we're still working on it. But I do think we can learn how we can identify those marks and those experiences and those times in our life that mark our spiritual growth and our spiritual adulthood, our spiritual journey. So here we see a defining moment in Jesus' spiritual journey. He was a child, and then at this point in time, he understood who he was. I am the Son of God, and therefore I am God's Son. And that changed. And Jesus would have a lot of other times, right? There would be a lot of other things. So what is your, think about your moment or moments. Can you point to them? Confirmation, maybe? Baptism as an adult, maybe? Maybe uh, some convention that you went to, some conference that you went to, uh, an experience like walk to Emmaus, maybe a certain Bible study, some mystic experience that you have. All of those can be key moments. For John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, right? It, it, it was moments like being, being plucked from the flames of a house fire. The parsonage got sent on fire when he was a kid, and he was saved from that fire. That was a moment that helped him grow spiritually. There was a mission trip that he took to Georgia that didn't go very well, and that helped him grow spiritually. As he was listening to Martin Luther's commentary of the book of Romans, because it's inspiring. I've read it many times and never had a mystical experience. But John Wesley did, and it marked his life. I can point to many experiences in my own life that are, are, are these, these kind of checkpoints in my spiritual growth. Now, I expect many more to come. That's the point. If I'm looking back and forward, or, or if you're looking back in your life and if you're looking forward in your life and all you see is kind of status quo, in your spiritual life, I, I am the same today as I was yesterday and I will be tomorrow, then you need to take Jesus' example and go out and try to find some time to grow, to mature. Now, Jesus' revelation also teaches us an important lesson. It's not just about growing. Now, you can gain all of the knowledge in the world, right? You can gain all of the experience in the world and not grow spiritually. Just because you are 110 does not mean you are spiritually mature. Just because you have a PhD in 
I know eschatological theology does not mean you are spiritually mature. It helps, certainly. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. But it helps. Experience and knowledge help. But it has to be paired with an acknowledgement of who you are and whose you are. And that's what Jesus had. I am God's son. I am the son of God. Part of the struggle of growing up is, right, finding yourself. I just despise that term. I wish we wouldn't use it. I wish we wouldn't encourage it. Because it's this idea that, well, we got to send our young people out because we don't have any rituals to tell them you're an adult now. We have to send them out, and they have to find themselves. And there's truth to that. Everyone's got to make their own decision. Everyone's got to make their own life choices. I mean, you can't do that for your kids forever, uh, and you shouldn't, you know, for, for uh, as soon as you can. I think let them make their own choices and, and learn from that. But they should leave your house. They should leave our churches. They should go off to college. They should go off to their first job. They should go into their life knowing whose they are and who they are. They are a child of God, and therefore they are God's child, a son and daughter. And if we spent a lot more time doing that as a church, I think we would have a lot more people in church, have a lot more generations that hadn't been lost. So we forgot to teach them whose they were and who they were. But if you haven't had that realization, if you don't know who you are and whose you are, then all the knowledge and experience in the world will not help you grow spiritually. It won't change you. It won't transform you. It won't help you be a person of new life. Because when we realize who we are and whose we are, we surrender. We become something new. So the question remains, how do we do that, right? Now, we can learn about that from Christ's experience here. Salvation really isn't an event as much as it is a process. How did Jesus come by? How did Jesus grow? How did Jesus advance in his spiritual life? He got lost. Now, you could argue, well, he was in his father's house. He wasn't lost. But he was lost, wasn't he? The Scripture makes a pretty good point that the fact he he was lost i i I would argue maybe okay not not necessarily lost to his parents but he was lost in his father's house you understand it's not about where mary and joseph lost him it's about he was lost in his father's house he didn't return to that caravan because he had been lost in the knowledge, right? He had been lost in these experiences that were being shared with him by these elders. He had been lost in the fact that he was close to the place where his father was. Jesus would learn, certainly, that God was a lot more than just in a place, in a, in a room behind a curtain, right? Kind of the Wizard of Oz God, right? But he had to get lost to get there. So many Christians are born into the faith and, and, and never really take those steps to grow, to learn, to challenge themselves. Even people who convert to Christianity later in life, you know, sometimes they're, they're excited, they convert, you know, everything else, but then, then they just kind of flatline. Again, if you're the same today as you were yesterday and, and you are tomorrow, then you're doing Christianity wrong. You're following Jesus incorrectly or not completely. You have some room to grow. 
Day by day, you need to lose yourself. Give up everything you are and become something new, right? Become a new person. Become the person God planned you to be because you are a child, a son and daughter of God. Believe me, when you start doing that, people will worry about you, right? (laughs) You know, Joseph and Mary were worried. You start losing yourself to Christ. You start following God's call in your life. People will worry about you because you're not doing the things that they expect. But if you're in your father's house, hear that. If you're in your father's house, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. Now that brings us to obedience. And you're not going to like this. Jesus was obedient to his parents. Well, you like that, right? I like that. I wish, you know, uh, even the one I really like was having a little problem right there. Tonight, they all have their own attitudes, right? But this wasn't something he would grow out of. And I, and I think that's what we need to remember. This was not something Jesus would grow out of. He wasn't just being he wasn't just being obedient to his parents because he was a child. And, and I think we tend to think that as we grow up, as we get older, well, we start calling the shots more and more, right? That's, you know, teenagers, right? More and more, I start making the decisions, and that's wonderful, and that's true. But Jesus was always obedient to his Father. Not my will, but yours be done. Remember that line? That famous quote that Jesus said on the night of his execution, on on the, the precipice of his execution. That's a nice word, precipice. Talk about that. On the edge, right, of his... I don't know where precipice gets not in here. I don't know where precipice came from, but it was kind of fun to say precipice. So obedience really isn't about doing what you're told, is it? It's not really just about following orders blindly, always listening to authority. It's about the humility that you need to acknowledge that sometimes you need help. Sometimes you need direction. Sometimes you need guidance. Sometimes you need your father's advice. Right? This is easy to understand for most of us who have been parents. You tell your child something. Don't run out into the street, right? Because if you run out on the street, you might get hit by a car. It's good advice. It's guidance. That's how we parent. You know, we don't just say things like that randomly. I try to tell Alex, you know, I don't just come up with this stuff just to spite you, right? I have your best interest at heart. And we're going to clash over that for the rest of our lives. But I do have your best interest at heart. And God, who is much more perfect than I am, has my best interest at heart. And, and we've clashed several times <laughs> over the years, certainly. And I'm sure you and God have too. And you and your parents, I won't even get into that as adults. But God does have your best interest at heart. And if you follow God's guidance, you might find your life a lot better. Well, then when you call the shot yourself, I think. So I'm not sure about Home Alone. I'm not sure that it taught us much about functioning as adults. But I think Jesus' Temple Alone story, let's call it Temple Alone, does teach us a lot about growing spiritually and maturing as Christians. 
I think it teaches us a lot about that. But I think there's one lesson, one last lesson we can take. One, one last little insight that we can garner from this passage, and that is sometimes, sometimes, we need to be in our Father's house. Sometimes. Well, sometimes all the time. <laughs> but that's why we gather together, right? The, the story of the the story of Jesus and the story of the resurrection and the story that he was the son's God changed the theology of the world from God is here in this one place sitting on his throne to remember that curtain ripped, that 30-foot curtain tore right in two when Jesus died. And that was to teach us that God is everywhere, right? And we can be in God's presence anytime, but there's something special when Christians come together, when two or more gather in my name, I will be there. And so we come to worship and, and, and we come together and we come be the church because when we are the church, we are present in our Father's house. And sometimes we need that more than anything else. Amen? Amen. Let's transition now to respond to that good news. I certainly hope that is good news in your life. With the Apostles' Creed, um, I hope I put it up there. Apostles, there we go. Thank you. And let us read this statement of our faith together as it's on the screen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If you have any questions about what any of that stuff means, feel free to get in contact with me. I'd love to discuss any of that stuff with you. And it does come up from time to time in our teaching. Let's transition now to uh, prayers, remembering so many in our world. It's been a tragic, tragic week losing David Bowie and Helen Rickman. Just for me, personally. I miss David Bowie. No. No. Well, I mean, I'm sure other people miss him, too. It's okay. Uh, I will say um, our prayer cards uh, got a little wet, so they're not up there. Um, so if you need to fill out a prayer concern, um, you, you can tear, I just tore it off. I, I should have been more intentional. Remember in your New Life notes, you can tear this little thing off. And on the back of it, um, there's a little question and it says, how can we pray for you? And you could just put your prayer concern on there and put it in the box or put it in the offering envelope or give it to me. And then we will add your prayer to the prayer chain. Um, so there's no blue cards up there. Just put your prayer concerns for yourself or anybody else on there, and we will pray for them. So just a little bit of advice for that. So let us be in prayer, um, not only for ourselves, but for others. So many in, in very real need in our world. 
We were able this week to help several families in need. We were able to help a refugee uh, mother um, with two young children and one on the way from the Congo, uh, the Republic of the Congo. Um, so a very, very, very touching to be able to, to get into contact with lives in that way. But there are so many other people in need. So as we do this, I will say a statement. We will reflect on it silently. And I will say, Lord, in your mercy, you will say. And then at the end, I will open it up. If you want to lift any names to God's care, of course, you can do that any day. And I encourage you to do that every day. Intercessory prayer, we call that prayer. Praying for other people, intercessing for other people. You're welcome to do that. Let us pray. Lord, once again, we just thank you for being present in your house. For the knowledge that you are here with us. But there are so many who aren't here with us. Family and friends who uh, couldn't make it today or, or were doing something else or traveling on vacation at work. But there are so many who not just aren't present at new life, but just aren't present in your house ever. Who are overcome with illness, suffering, doubt. We just ask that you continue to be with all of those and just help us be your hands and your feet in this world. Lord, we pray for the people of new life. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for those who suffer and those in trouble. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for the concerns of our communities. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for the world, its people, and its leaders. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for the church, its leaders, its members, and its mission. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for the great communion of saints, all of those who have come before, who join together with us to praise your name. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we'd like to lift up other names now to your care, to your ear. We'll do that now. Lord, in your mercy. 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 Lord, we lift up those names and so many more on our hearts and in our care to your care this day. Fill their lives with presence, grace, mercy, justice when available. Help us be conduits of justice and mercy in their lives and in all people's lives. Help us not only be in your house, but be your kingdom, your house for this world. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.